Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there's something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. My favorite meal that you can get right now is the chili chili bang bang chicken. Go to the link in the description to get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we welcome you back to episode number 74, where today we are going to be talking about rotational motion. Mm-hmm. The movement of <laughs> rotation. No, that didn't make any sense, but you know what we mean. So I think this is an episode long time coming. Uh, We did mention it in a previous episode that we were going to do a rotational motion episode. And here it is. Very Mm -hmm, excited mm -hmm. about this one. This is pretty important. You know what I mean? When you learn Mm -hmm. about classical mechanics, you got to learn about uh, the translational equations. And then you also need to learn about the angular motion equations because it it's, it's the the only two ways, right, of like moving. Translation and angular. Translation. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if there's another one. I don't think I don't so. But um, no. no. How? Anyways, so when you move, when you're when you're moving in a rotational fashion, there is a an axis, a point about which you are rotating, and the thing that moves. Well, if you're looking at just like a simple case, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing that moves or changes is the angle. You know, usually we look at the angle from the positive x-axis if you're like moving in a circle on the graph. And uh, yeah, that's the thing that moves. But of course, you can get some like cool parametrizations with a distance from the rotation, the axis of the point of rotation, I guess. Um, also changes and I guess we can talk about that later because that does have to do with like multivariable kind of kind of deal you know what I mean <laughs> like uh, no. parametrizations that's multivariable right yeah yeah I mean yeah for sure that would be a little we could get into that kind of maybe maybe we want to stick a little to the physics today I don't know yeah because uh, we have been doing a lot of math episodes which I love but I also love physics, you know, I love, Mm -hmm. I love that physics. So, um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, we can definitely touch on those, but maybe focus a little more on the, um, on the motion aspect of it. Right. So one thing before we even start, um, I just wanted to mention the importance of this particular subject, right? Like, why do we care that something or like the, the fact that something is rotating or like translating like why is it even important i don't know so i'm doing this thing on the side right now with a professor it may come up in the future of the podcast but it's where we're basically analyzing equations of motion and in the in this particular project i realize how important it is to analyze said motion right because given a scenario given a system that's doing something or if you're observing a particular system and usually you're letting it, you leave it alone and just something is happening and you want to be able to quantify that system. You want to be able to deduce elements and properties of that system. And how do you do that? And again, this is all just to say all of this is really beautiful and including rotational motion in this system of equations is incredibly important because again, that's a way that it's moving. Right. So an object can be completely stationary in space, but just be rotating along its own axis. Right. Which is still it's still moving technically. So there are just so many ways to think about it. And I just wanted to stress the importance of like everything we're going to do today is just it's just kind of like translating between pun intended translational motion 
and rotational motion. And that's basically just understanding that relationship, right? And honing in on that relationship, again, will just get us to a better understanding of the properties of these rotating bodies, right? Mm -hmm. Whole point of the, this thing in the first place. Yeah, so uh, when we talk about translational motion, uh, we have like frames, you know what I mean? I, I think the equivalent to a frame in rotational terms is the actual axis of rotation because you can have like an object rotate around a certain point and you can have at the same time that entire that that point of reference is also rotating around another point of reference so it all depends on which you know which which rotational uh axis i keep i keep forgetting like, which word to, to actually use yeah but it, like do we call it the like the axis of rotation the point of rotation because that wouldn't because i mean axis would be if it's like if it's spanning something right like it's a line that that, that like a point would be if it's a oh, but yeah. in this case if it's a two-dimensional thing like if it's just a circle yeah then technically you can't say axis right because you're just drawing a line through it and it's just mm -hmm. rotating along that axis so I guess axis would be valid. I think both would be, even point of mm -hmm. rotation would be valid, to be honest. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think that's all I want to say. Like Before. Um, mm -hmm. Before we actually, oh yeah, we didn't even do the. the yeah, that's, what I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. So let, let's, let's get that done first. Uh, news. Okay. Let's do it. So we are sitting at, I, I believe last time, again, we keep forgetting. Also, I should mention that might be why our numbers are different. So this episode is actually being recorded. We usually do it every Saturday. This is being recorded on a Thursday because I'm not here this weekend. So that's why our numbers are different. I've been wondering, like, it's a lot lower than what we usually report, like, week on week. But anyways, we'll still continue. So on Thursday, uh, we have our followers on Spotify sitting at 12 point, we can say three. So uh, a, a quick, what, 300 followers? That happened like in the last few days. That was pretty cool. I guess. Right? Because so. we, we just touched 12,000 last, last Saturday. And uh, Google Podcasts, I believe, uh, were also... Parker can maybe run that number. What's the number on Google Podcasts? Uh, right now, it's 2,064. Still impressive. Still impressive. Thank you for everyone <laughs> who listens over there. Thank and you downloads, to total, uh, total downloads sitting up at 191,000. Let's and go. finally, for the last piece of information the youtube subscriber count pretty impressive actually sitting at 1.2 or 1210 subscribers so thank you for everyone who you know follows on everywhere you do you know wherever you are right now just go ahead click that follow button why not for and sure, if it's sure. on youtube smash that like button you know and thank you for so the much to everybody who's been downloading the podcast now Make sure to leave a comment under this YouTube video to be the comment of the week. Mm -hmm. Actually, you can you can comment anywhere pretty much. We take emails. Uh, we DMs say you, we like say that. the YouTube video <laughs> when we're talking, but like to be honest, if it's a nice enough comment, like we'll just pick it. You know, mm -hmm. from anywhere. Like yeah, it doesn't really matter. So this week's comment actually comes from an email from Abraham. Oh. He is studying engineering physics in Colombia. And he says he's been listening to our podcast and he thinks they're awesome. Thank you so much for your email. And we encourage everybody to let us know if they enjoy the podcast or if they have any suggestions for topics uh, for us to talk about. I guess, you know, we pretty much talk about anything. So if there's anything you saw on YouTube and or, you know, wherever in class, uh, let us know and we'll make an episode on it. Yep. Anything else, Ray? Um, nope. I think that's it for the news, right? <clears throat> no more updates that we have, I think. Yeah, I think, I think we can get into it. Let's get into rotational motion. So... We already kind of touched on, I mean, a little bit, uh, Parker already kind of described the whole angle mm -hmm. thing and, you know, from the x-axis is what we usually do and whatnot. Again, that's only in 2D, but we can we can continue from there. But before we really get into rotational, let's, let's distinguish between what we're already familiar with, and that's translational motion. Translational motion is something that we already know. Take a box on a, on a plane and you're pushing the box, right? How much ever it moved is 
is well the distance. I mean, and, and that motion is called translation is the point that I'm trying to make, right? Why? Because that box or whatever object that you are moving is with respect to the surroundings staying the same. Mm-hmm. Like nothing is really changing. And right? we're going to talk about like simple translations. So just like one dimensional motion. This is, I, okay, yes. The, so the, so yeah. the, the thing that I'm going through right now is simple is, is yeah. one dimensional, right? We're just pushing a box along a plane. But even if you generalize this particular example, I mean, I think I don't really need to know if we really have to go that deep into what the difference is between something rotating and tra- like, I think it's pretty <laughs> intuitive. Like you can imagine something yeah. rotating, right? So that's basically the difference. And translational is what we're ma- mainly used to and what we deal with when when doing everything. So all of our equations of motion with acceleration, velocity, you know, the, the big five kinematic equations, the dynamic equations, all of them are translational equations because they are all based on the fact that the object itself is not rotating. Now, if mm-hmm. it's rotating, we add things in the mixture, right, which is a little different. So- yeah, when you have an object that moves along a line, you have like two things at first. You have the distance and the time it took to travel that distance. And if we're just assuming like a constant velocity, then in order to calculate that velocity, you can do, you know, distance divided by the time it took. Or if you want to know the instantaneous velocity, you take the derivative of the distance Mm -hmm. or the position position with respect to time and essentially uh you start with position and you take the derivative and you get to velocity and this is uh translational velocity in terms of rotation it's a little bit uh it's not like trickier but there there are kind of two things that you can look at Mm -hmm. because the first thing that you can look at is the rate at which the object is rotating around your point. And so first off, you have the angular position. And what you can do is take the angle divided by the time it took to travel across that angle. And then you get the angular or the average angular velocity. And If you want to know the instantaneous angular velocity, you take the derivative of the Mm -hmm. angular position with respect to time. But there is also another thing. Oh, you can go ahead. I just wanted to say one thing about the angular position thing, right? Like a lot of people, they're sometimes like, you don't really have a protractor just measuring the angle. Now, for those of you that remember our trig episode, which is, I believe, where we spoke about the radian, becomes incredibly important when talking about angular rotation or or, sorry angular motion sorry so angular position not really again measured with a protractor it's mainly measured with again those that remember the definition of a radian or how to really measure it based on this and not a degree is very simple so whatever remember the whole point of rotating is that you are you can basically make your arc into a whole circle Right. I don't know if I explained that very well, but like wherever you are, if you are rotating, that means if you are experiencing rotating or like rotational motion, right, then what that means you, your path is describing a smaller set of a circle. Like it can basically be traced out to a circle, right? Mm -hmm. The whole point to basically say to measure the angle that you traverse, the angular position, you take The distance that you traveled, which is along the arc, the arc length, like we call it, and you divide it by the radius of this imaginary circle that you draw around this arc that you are traveling. Now, again, if you can, if you visualize that, you perfectly understood it. If you didn't, I don't know how good that was, (laughs) but it's basically the angular position is simply a ratio of the distance that you travel on the circle to the radius of said circle, right? And it's equal to one, that means one radian, when you exactly travel, hence the name, one radius equal of the circle, right? So when the arc length and the radius are equal, that means you travel the same radius, you basically travel one radian. And the reason it's so much easier is because now this is based off, so there's no, like it can be generalized for every case, 
And the best part about the Radian, if you, if you noticed, is that it is unitless. And again, we mentioned this in the Trig episode, so everyone may be like having flashbacks to that one right now if you've already watched that. But the Radian is unitless, and that provides a lot of advantages that we will talk about later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, uh, you, you can continue, Burger. So one thing that I always forget is the equation to go from like distance to angle. You know what I mean? So I don't know if anybody else also has this issue, but like recently, I think like this year, I thought of an easy way to remember. So everybody knows, everybody knows the equation of circumference equals 2 pi r, right? There's no way you don't know that. But <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty this. dish to some people that may not know that. No. I don't know because there no, may be, the, okay. I don't know. Anyway, if you don't know okay, that, it's well, okay. But now yeah. you know, 2 pi r. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> get get yeah. used to it i guess yeah but as we know the circumference is the distance that you travel around a circle and that's equal to two pi two pi radians right so the angle and times r the radius mm-hmm. so there's your equation the distance is equal to the angle times the radius and then as i said earlier about taking derivatives if you take the time derivative of both sides of these equations the time derivative of the distance is the velocity and this is the translational velocity the instantaneous one Mm -hmm. and you take the time derivative of the right side the radius is just a constant in this case and so you you get the derivative of the angle which is the angular velocity and there you have your equation off the bat that mm-hmm. gives that goes from translational to angular velocity v equals omega r mm-hmm. and you just do the exact same thing for acceleration boom yeah you can you can further you can further move that on to uh also two forms of acceleration the tangential and then the and then the and then the radial acceleration right and similar again with that whole i don't know if we i, th- I think i think it was kind of explained one uh 360 degrees, like the whole circle, is basically two pi radians, which is basically the kind of the deduction where we made the two pi r thing from, which is how it comes from, which is actually pretty cool. I know we, I guess, I guess we didn't really think about it before we really understood truly really radians and stuff, but now that we made that connection, it's pretty cool. But yeah, continuing on to acceleration, if you want to find the angular acceleration, you just go ahead and take the time derivative again of both those sides, and then you get your alpha which will be your angular acceleration, similar to angular velocity is your angular. So it's again, so angular velocity is radians per second. This would be radians per square second, right? Or radians per second squared. So the whole idea is you're just, you're just comparing your regular translational variables to your now rotational variables. And the whole point of comparing these two and saying, okay, well, what's the relationship between V and omega is also like the classic... The, tr- the tangential velocity is like, hey, if I, if I cut a ball on a string, what would be its speed? You know what I mean? Like, oh, if the sun just disappeared right now, how fast would the earth be moving? Like those kind of questions would be answered by the tangential velocity. But if you ask, hey, how fast is the earth moving right now? Well, that would be a question for angular velocity because we're moving in a circle, a sort of circle, right? So it's just, again, a relationship between these variables and just continuing it down the road, right? That's basically yeah. V omega and stuff. And for converting it between for for the big five, what you're what people are generally used to, the big five kinematic equations, you know, the all the equations of uh, of motion, you basically just swap them. You just switch through. So the the distance, the oh, sorry, the position or the change in position becomes the change in angle. The velocity becomes the angular velocity. And the acceleration becomes the angular acceleration and everything else stays the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, I mean, else. everything else is time, but like, I mean, yeah. So the whole, everything works just by switching around these variables, which I just think is beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Also, I don't think it really made sense what you said about the earth. Cause if you ask somebody how fast the earth is moving, they're not going to give you a, okay. A I guess that's valid. Velocity. No one's really giving you a range for a second. <laughs> no one's really giving you. But what that's I wanted right. to say is that would be the best way to quantify it, even though that is not exactly what people would say. I totally get what you mean. You would still answer the tangential velocity, but 
what it's actually going through is in fact rotational is what i was trying to say yeah. we are currently moving at 0. 0.000 <laughs> radians per yeah we'll be moving pretty slow in terms of radians <laughs> um yeah so now yeah of course because we love physics we have to talk about newton right so you're probably wondering okay when you're moving in a straight line you can experience forces and all these things okay perfect well as we just described there is such a thing as angular acceleration and if you remember from a previous episode which i don't exactly remember which episode it was we talked about inertial terms oh, Newton's, which i think laws. yeah 100%. probably yeah. where else would we have talked about it i don't know but <laughs> we talked about inertial terms and when it comes to rotation it's not as easy as just saying the mass it is that easy when you're dealing with you know one dimensional motion just moving in a straight line because the mass all the all the particles in that mass will be moving in the same direction you know they'll have the same uh vector velocity uh vector i don't know why i said that twice. but um everything is going to move at the same time at the same rate in the same direction all that stuff and so all you're really concerned about is the center of mass you pretend as if everything was like the entire mass of the body was concentrated in one spot at the center of mass and it had the mass of the body boom that's all you need but Rotation is a little bit more complicated because you have situations where I can rotate my body around an axis that is centered in my body. Like I can rotate around my spinal cord. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if you look at every single particle in my body, some particles are going to be moving faster than others, which means that you can't consider every single particle to be identical in this case. And so, as you probably guessed, the, the inertial term actually depends on the actual axis of rotation and the distribution of mass. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I'm rotating around an axis on my spinal cord, you know, just like spinning around... I'm going to have a different moment of inertia than if I was rotating around the sun. You know what I mean? So I guess we can talk a little bit more in depth about that when we get to energy and then like torque and things like that, mm -hmm. which, yeah, torque is I alpha. So it, it, it translates directly to like from the newton newton's equations mm -hmm. so i i is very i mean i comes very in very many places including like when, when we're calculating for energy and stuff like that as well right like again translating between um the translational and the rotational terms i is again okay i don't fully remember if you said this but i is basically the rotational version of mass right so in your in your half mv squared for your kinetic energy formula if you're trying to calculate the kinetic energy for any moving body you just switch it up it's half i omega squared where i is basically your moment of inertia which is now representing your mass and omega which is your rotational velocity so again it's a very easy switch to just get these again get these through again showing you that physics works showing you that physics works I, I don't know if I remember this exactly. What? Okay. But so the moment, okay, I'm going to try to remember and like derive it live. Okay. So okay. the moment of inertia of a single point mass is mR squared, right? So the mass of the point multiplied well, by it's, yeah, the it's... distance squared. Is that correct? I think so. Well, it's the sum of all the masses, right? It depends I'm talking on the about distribution. One, I'm talking about one point. Oh, okay. Then yes. mR squared. And so if you have a continuous distribution, you have to do, you have to take the integral of r squared dm, right? I think that's right. Because you have to take, you have to multiply the distance r squared times each infinitesimal 
mass point in the yes, continuous because you're basically you're basically integrating it remember yeah. yeah yeah and so that's that's how you calculate any distribution of course there are hard distributions to do for example the human body would be difficult to integrate over because it's so i mean it's symmetrical in a way but just so overly complicated what we did do in class and things like um distributions we man i really can't talk distributions that we did in class that were pretty easy to derive were for example spheres uh balls that were filled in you know what i mean um also planes like not flying planes but like two-dimensional flat planes uh also cylinders and things like that and those are easy but also interesting to go through especially the first time you do it because you'll notice that some axes are easier to do than others for example a sphere rotating around just its central axis is different from um actually no this is a bad example because the sphere is completely symmetrical mm-hmm. uh what about a cylinder so if you stick the axis through the top of the cylinder that moment of inertia is going to be different than if you were to to like skewer it from the side and it would rotate like a propeller and so you can do these calculations with the integral that I just mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Some, of course, are easier than others, but they're they're very interesting because I remember we actually did these derivations before even learning integral calculus, which was <laughs> which was fun. I remember sitting in my room just saying, "Okay, I've, you know." No, but I've to be honest, come on, these this, were very but... easy. These are very easy integrals, though. No, like no. the in, no, no, like the integration itself. Figuring it out is a different thing. That's the whole point of physics. Yeah, the, no. The integration itself was super simple. That's what I was talking about, though. Like setting up the integral. Yeah, setting up. Of course. Okay, that easy. that well, that is a little more of physics, in my opinion. Just setting up the whole masses and the and the, the understanding, like where the you know where it's concentrated and stuff like that. Like that's a little more in the physics terms of it, but. I definitely understand, like, that's why, you know, this it's the classic, you learn more math and physics, because, <laughs> like, because you, you start a lot <laughs> earlier, because it's such a foundational subject. Anyways, we're going crazy, but, yeah, super crazy there. What I w- did want to talk about, though, was, is it a fair, is it a fair moment to get into torque right now? Yeah. Is it a fair moment to get into torque? So, torque is super cool. <laughs> because it is the rotational version of force. So again, we're just comparing translation and rotation. So here we have the rotational version of force, which is torque. And it's super cool. And it's basically, well, the formula for it, Not this is very, very simple. It's just the radius vector cross the force vector. Super simple. So again, for people who maybe not heard of cross products and stuff like that. It's basically, there are two vectors, right? We have, so, okay, let me just set up a scenario for you. You have a pivot, a pivot point. Isn't every, it R cross F? Yeah, that's that's what I said. You said that force cross R. I said that's radius cross, at, did I not say radius cross force? Uh, I, th- I thought you said it the other way around. Well, I'm sorry. I meant radius vector cross force vector, right? Now, for all these exa- for all these scenarios, you need a pivot point. So we have some point and a pivot point basically means that something is rotating around this point, right? Point of rotation, axis of rotation, whatever. So we have a pivot point and we have some part where we're applying a force. The easiest scenario to think about if you haven't, if you aren't imagining, aren't able to imagine anything right now is a door, (laughs) a simple door, right? Can act exactly like this. So in this, in this scenario, your, your hinge, where your hinges are is your pivot point. And where your handle is, is where you're applying the force. So, super, I mean, I think people can already imagine the scenario. You push it and it creates some some amount of force. And that is what we quantify as torque. And again, the cross product is, again, just a vector product, basically. Because at the end of the day, torque is a vector quantity, right? And what it, again, all it uh, represents in this case is the amount of Again, you can think about it as rotational force is being applied to said system. 
And again, you can kind of see something interesting from here, the relationship between the torque and the force and the radius and all this good stuff. Keeping the torque constant, we have F and R basically inversely proportional in, in a way to think about it. And that is why on, on every door, you never see your handle at your hinge, right? You see it the farthest away from the hinge because you apply a small force at a great enough distance and you can do anything you want. I, I brought up a quote because I because this is a very famous one. Everyone, this is the uh, this year Archimedes quote. Give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it and I shall move the world. <laughs> because mean, he, because I believe, I mean, I believe it was him that kind of did this whole, was it? I'm pretty sure. I mean, how else would he have said it, right? Because he kind of discovered this whole thing where, hey, you know, if, if I'm far enough, if my radius is long enough, I can just apply a tiny force and it will relate to a ginormous force on the other side if the other side radius is very tiny, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So, so yeah. Uh, I wanted to say that the... the Because uh, torque is a vector quantity, but the magnitude, I guess, quote, unquote, the magnitude, because this, this can also be a negative value. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, like the amount of torque that you're applying is F... Or sorry, force times the radius times sine of the angle between the two. Yeah, that's that's the cross product formula, right? Yeah, but just the number, not the vector. Yeah. Um. So what this actually means, and if you think about it for two seconds, I feel like that I say that every it's single. Two episode. seconds. No one thinks <laughs> yeah. about it in two seconds. If, if you think about it for two seconds, so imagine your door. Okay. Uh, the vector for the radius goes from the hinge to the handle. If you apply a force in the same direction of that radius vector, you're going to be applying zero torque because your door is not going to be rotating at all. And that's where the sine theta comes in. If your theta is zero, then mathematically you're applying zero torque. And that makes sense because if you're pushing you know, in the same direction as the door, the door is not going to move. But if you increase the angle at which you're pushing on the door, you'll notice that you're going to get the most torque when you're pushing directly square onto the handle, when you have a 90 degree angle. And then, of course, it decreases until you get to the other side and you're pushing into the hinges towards the hinges of the door where you will also have zero torque. And if you know what a sine wave looks like, that's exactly what I just described. So that's how I, when I, when I get into a problem that has to do with torque and all that, there are three things or maybe two things that I think about. First of all, you need to look at the pivot point, the point of contact, and also the angle of contact, okay? So the point, the pivot point in this situation would be the hinges. The point of contact is the handle, and then the angle is just how, like, at what angle you're putting your arm on the handle. And that's the only information you need to solve any problem. And you can take th this idea with the door and apply it to anything that rotates. And that's all the information you ever need. Mm -hmm. There was this there was this difficult problem, or I guess it was difficult at the time, in our physics lab, where we had to describe the motion of a yo-yo, where we put a yo-yo on a table and you rolled up the string. And then what we had to do was pull on the string at different angles and write down what the yo-yo did. And then we had to like explain it mathematically. And unexpected things happened right you'd you'd pull on the string and the yo-yo would go it would start rolling in the opposite direction mm -hmm. the tricky thing about this problem was that i wasn't using my own advice right now and it's to think about the point of rotation the point of contact the point of contact in this situation 
because the the center of the yo-yo is not a single point, right? The center of the yo-yo is is a cylinder, and the string contacts the outside of the cylinder, right, in the center of the yo-yo, which means that from the center of the yo-yo to the point of contact was the radius vector. And then depending on which angle we were holding the string at, right, we did like a horizontal one, we did a vertical one, and also like wrapped around on going the other way, which means that the point of contact was on the top instead of the bottom. We also did a couple of different angles. The point is, <laughs> the the point is, it like the, I was expecting it to be super easy. Like, oh, I pull on the string, the yo-yo is just gonna follow, right? But turns out it was very counterintuitive, and it made me think about these torque problems in a different way. And now I actually I actually think about it for two seconds. <laughs> And uh, it helps me a lot. So, you know, I encourage you to do that too. Those two seconds really help, eh? For those, sure. Those, those two seconds of thought. And again, all all where where torque plays an important role in just understanding these these cool effects. I believe there's a really cool Veritasium video as well that uh, is basically on the axis of rotation. And he does this really cool experiment. You may, may have seen it in space where this one thing just forever flips rotations and mm -hmm. stuff like that and that's all because of these crazy torque vectors and just the way they're pointing and stuff like that right i think that has to do with an unstable equilibrium of uh, the angular momentum vector and so as soon as it goes off axis it switches it, like switches to the other side yeah yeah, it's, it's 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 something like that. Um, I don't know if we can go too deep into it because I don't know if we know we, we know enough about it to no. talk about that. That would be definitely a cool thing to know about, though. But um, anything more on torque that we wanted that we wanted yeah. to talk about? There are more equations for torque that we didn't talk about. For example, torque equals the moment of inertia multiplied by the angular acceleration. Oh yeah, of the object. Um, and this is a direct translation from Newton's equations of motion. Remember, force is equal to mass times acceleration. And as we mentioned earlier, mass in the rotational sense is the moment of inertia. And the acceleration is just the angular acceleration. Mm -hmm. And so having these two equations for torque and being really familiar with them actually um, helps you a lot because you have a lot of information or you can get a lot of possible clues in your questions and then you just use all of these convenient equations to solve mm -hmm. for it. I remember one problem that we had on our second midterm in first year, this was the one with angular rotation and all that stuff. One of the last questions, I don't know if you remember this, Ray, but um, it was it was a, a rotating piece of wood. And on on that piece of wood were two like toy cars. And the question was something along the lines of like, what mass do the cars have to be for them to reach the end of the piece of wood mm. in 10 seconds? And the reason why this is difficult is because, you know, they gave us a they gave us an initial angular velocity for the piece of wood. But of course, as you start rotating the piece of wood, the cars start moving away from the center. And that changes the moment of inertia as a function of time, which changes the angular velocity Mm -hmm. as a function of time which has to do with all of this stuff i actually do remember a question like yeah. that yeah yeah and I, I remember just writing down the worst answer of my entire life and then as soon as as soon as the exam was over i asked one of our friends and he's like oh did you consider like the friction the force of friction and that was the one thing that i was missing because i'm pretty mm -hmm. sure the force of friction was the force vector that you had to take into consideration for the torque and i just completely missed that and 
you know, butchered the entire question. But I'll try to actually find the question at some point because I remember I keep my <laughs> I keep my exam booklets, so I'll try to find it and uh, maybe post it on Instagram. Find it at uh, math.physics.podcast. Ooh, I like that plug. I love that plug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Angular momentum. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. <laughs> because we already we already understand translational momentum, right? Very very simple, or at least for now, right? Some amount of oh, like okay, well, how how do we quantify how tough how hard this is to stop or whatever? You know, that's a way of thinking. A moving body mm. is to stop. Angular uh, momentum is well, very 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 similar thing in simple terms of in well in the angular sense but uh, the way it's calculated quite interesting so now there's a difference between that small l and the big l right which i always get confused by because i know the big l is basically just the sum of all the small l's again i know for the people who are who know the angular momentum equations you may get what what i'm trying to say right now but basically a way to think about the angular momentum is the radius, once again, cross the linear momentum. Ooh. Ooh. So that is a basically a formula or a, a way to think about angular momentum. Understand, again, the same thing with if you want to make it into a quantifiable, like a number, it's the length of the radius times the magnitude of the momentum multiplied by the angle between those two vectors, right? So it will be at a maximum the when it's at a 90 degrees. Angle. Sign of the angle. That's, sorry, that's what I meant. Multiply by the sine of the angle between the two vectors, so it will be maximum again when that angle is 90 degrees, right? And again, you can, you can, uh, you can con- convert this because technically momentum you can convert into mv. You can take out mv as your vector, and then you have your p, your, your r cross v basically is what you have. So that's another way of thinking about it, that your linear momentum is now directly related to your radius and or the the multiplication or the uh, of the radius and the velocity, basically. Right. So, again, if you just break it down into the numbers, because it's basically just M you take out again, forget the mass for now. We have your R V sine theta. So, again, it's mainly your relationship between R and V and that you can break up into R cross V taking M out of the picture. So, again, another way to think about l- angular momentum in terms of our linear counterparts, but again, just understanding it, again, why is it, Im- I mean, why is it important? I don't think it really needs to be asked at this point. But again, it's a way to quantify that number, right? It's a way to quantify the amount. Now, that capital L, small L, all that stuff that I was just talking about for people that maybe have not heard of angular momentum before, what I was just describing to you, this R cross P, because P is momentum, is the small L. Again, that's just, I guess, the variable that we define it as. And this is basically, because remember, in any system, there can be multiple different masses moving at different momentums, you know, whatever. So your angular momentum of the system is basically the sum of all these small L's. Very simple. Basically, the sum of all of these small, small, small guys. So I guess if there's only one thing that's happening and they're not multiple masses, multiple momentums that are moving, then you can just use this one equation. Simple, done. Just that small L equation. And another way to think about this, if you want it in strictly angular terms, is the moment of inertia multiplied by the angular velocity of said body. And again, if you want to think about it, Again, I, I believe I, I believe I believe I brought this up. Mass and moment of inertia direct, d- d- directly related. Velocity, angular velocity, directly related. So P equals mv, which is linear, is directly translated to angular momentum equals I omega. Right. So just again, again, just understanding those relationships and angular momentum becomes very important, especially because we were talking about torque. Mm-hmm. Right. As you know, yeah. as every single person on earth knows. Oh my, please don't put the this pressure force, on me. <laughs> the force is a calculation, as one might say, of the change of momentum. There's no How way everyone mo- knows that. <laughs> this guy. 
<laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> no, I feel But no, it's I a feel... fact. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. yeah so think about think about an object that's moving in a straight line in space and it's just chilling. It, for anything to happen to that object, there needs to be a force. And what does that force do? Well, it changes its momentum and the the amount by which the momentum changes is exactly the force. So if you want to stop an object, you need to apply a force that goes against the momentum vector until the momentum vector equals zero. And that is the force that you applied. Boom. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, as we've been saying this entire time, that the translational equations go directly into rotational equations via changing a couple of variables, changing position for angle, angular velocity for regular velocity, all these things. We know that force is the time derivative of momentum. We know that momentum has a direct counterpart and is angular momentum. Therefore, I've constructed the perfect bulletproof argument to explain that torque is equal to the time derivative of angular momentum. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So now yeah. we have three equations. We have three equations for torque. We have dl dt, we have i alpha, and we also have r cross f. Wow. Anything to add, Ray? <laughs> I don't think we have any, I mean, with the formulas, uh, with, with the formulas, I think that's all the formulas we know of currently uh, when it when it comes with the uh, torque. I was just thinking of adding, I guess not really, because when it comes to, when it comes to all of this, right, it's also important to remember that these are all vector quantities. So you have to preserve that. Now, if people kind of picked up on the whole R cross F, R cross P situation, then people are also aware that both R, F, and P lie on the plane of rotation, right? So wherever this body is rotating, take the door, for example, we have, that's the plane of rotation, right? So we have the force acting on that plane. We have the radius on that plane. And now, because again, that's a 2D plane, right? And the torque, again, R cross F, is perpendicular to that plane. So it's basically pointing up. It's pointing outside. Again, I'm saying up because I'm imagining that. I'm just imagining it like on the floor. And I'm just thinking about like me pushing a wheel around, like like around a pivot point. So the torque would be pointing upwards because, oh, again, it's R cross off F. So the, the, the right-hand rule. The right-hand rule. This is the right-hand I mean, I think that was, okay, I don't know if people, this is mainly got from cross products. But it's basically the right-hand rule, very straightforward. Put your, um... oh, wait, I was doing something complete. I guess that's also valid, though. I was doing the grip rule, like where you curl. I guess that, and that also it's works. No, same. it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So basically, you point your, you point your four fingers in the, in the direction of the first vector. And then you curl in the direction of the second vector. Or you can just point two fingers or, or whatever. And the reason, and the, and the way to do that, and the, the reason it's important is because, and this is only using your right hand, the direction that your thumb is pointing in is the direction of said vector. So in this case, if you have, again, just imagine, I'm just like imagining a door and I'm imagining like a top-down view. You know how you're pushing a door? Imagine like a top-down view of that door. And uh, if you have your radius, so you're pointing outside. And then if, let's say, you're pushing forward, you're curling your fingers on top. So you have that vector pointing straight upwards towards yourself, right? So again, all this to basically say angular momentum and torque also point in the same direction, right? They point both perpendicular to the plane of rotation. Now. That's not, wait, hold on. Wait. <laughs> angular momentum and torque. They point perpendicular point to the. Yeah, they point perpendicular to the plane of rotation, mm -hmm. though. Not necessarily in the same opposite direction. to um, each other. Yeah, not necessarily in the same direction. Sorry, what I meant was yeah. that they point perpendicular to the plane of rotation, is mm -hmm. what I meant to say. 
Now, the reason this is important is because of really cool properties of these guys pointing not towards the plane. And with that, we get things like gyroscopes and precession and, the, mm. you know, the, like the earth wobbling every few centuries. All that good stuff happens because of the simple reason of this thing rotating around and because of these vectors all pulling and pushing each other in one particular direction, right? So, I don't know. I just wanted to bring up now. I, I'm going to be completely honest. I did, I did want to do a whole thing on gyroscopes, but I couldn't find, like, in my opinion, I couldn't find a deep enough explanation for me to really go off on it. So I'm just gonna explain. I want to do it. <laughs> you, oh, you, you, you want to go off on gyroscopes? No. Go for it. No, I, I just gyroscopes to, I just are to, awesome. I just wanted to introduce the whole idea because I just wanted to introduce gyroscopes in the sense that if you haven't heard of it, it's basically a navigation tool. Because the best thing about it is, no matter how much you move it, it will be pointing, or the axis of rotation will be pointing in the same direction, wherever you move it in space, and. It works through a very simple principle of conservation of angular momentum, right? I mean, if, if you want to go off on it, I'll let you go off on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I like to think about the um, gyroscope that you can buy like at a museum or whatever. The one where there's like, the, there's like a metal rod, I guess, and in the middle of the rod, there's the rotating wheel. Like a bike, like the bicycle thing is what you're thinking. I think that's the most common yeah. one, right? Yeah. Kind like of the like bicycle, yeah. like the bicycle. Yeah. I mean, this is a very common one. Again, a bicycle attached to the string. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's a rod, yeah. bicycle in the middle, string is attached and somehow. But I'm just, talking about, you know, the, the small one, like the small metal one. that You're talking about buy. this. Oh, you're talking. Okay. 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 That's a little. Okay. I'm just talking about like the one that people are. Cause I don't know when I think of a gyroscope, that's the first thing I see that bicycle wheel, that huge bicycle <laughs> wheel. I don't know. Maybe it's cause I've just seen a lot of videos like that. So anyways, yeah. a quick search for a gyroscope on Google will get you a good explanation of what both of us are talking about. But yeah, continue. So boom, when you start spinning the wheel, okay, the wheel is horizontal. You start spinning the wheel, you give that wheel an angular momentum. And if that wheel is spinning counterclockwise, the angular momentum vector using the right hand rule will point upwards. Okay. And as we said a little bit earlier, torque is the time derivative of the angular momentum. Now keep that in mind, okay? So when you put the gyroscope on your finger or whatever, you're probably amazed at how it stays up. You're like, wow, this, this piece of metal is balancing on my finger. It looks like magic, okay? But in fact, think about what I just just said about the time derivative of angular momentum. So you need to actually, in order to change the angular momentum vector, you need to apply torque, okay? That's why there are equivalents, which means that you need, you need some kind of force because torque requires a force and a distance from the point of rotation. Now, in this case, the point of rotation is your finger because that's what the gyroscope is balancing on. Mm -hmm. So the so if, if the gyroscope were to fall off of your finger, it would be rotating around your finger. Um, and the force, you could probably guess in this case, is the force of gravity, which points downwards. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so... At first, this is why as soon as you start your gyroscope, it's spinning very quickly. You put it on your finger and it seems to be perfectly stable. It is perfectly stable because as you remember, R cross F, there's the sine theta term. The R vector points upwards in general and the F vector points downwards, which means that the angle between them is 180 degrees or pi radian. And the sine of pi is zero. So at first, there is zero torque acting on your gyroscope and it is perfectly sitting still on your finger. But 
as friction occurs and, you know, natural human error and things like that, the angular momentum vector starts to decrease because the wheel starts slowing down. And also you move your finger around, you start to knock the gyroscope off of its balance point and all that stuff. Now, the more the gyroscope starts to angle downwards, the more the sine theta term becomes positive, or I guess the, the, the absolute value of the sine theta term increases, mm-hmm. okay? And so, once again, let's use the right hand rule. Um, the R term is going to be pointing off in the angle of the gyroscope as it starts to uh, angle downwards. And the force term is always pointing downwards, okay? So if we do the cross product, R cross F, as that angle increases, you see that your thumb actually points sideways. And that's what causes the gyroscope to process, to do circles. Because you have an angular momentum vector from the wheel, and that vector starts to, it starts pointing upwards and it starts to go down as your gyroscope uh, starts angling downwards but the more it angles downwards the higher the torque starts to push it sideways and so that's why it doesn't just immediately fall off of your finger Mm -hmm. is because the gravity that is pulling you know translationally it's pulling your gyroscope downwards but that very force is what is driving it to continue to process and to move around your finger Mm -hmm. in a rotating fashion and as you know when the r vector and the f vector are perfectly perpendicular so that means when the when the gyroscope is perfectly sideways that's when the torque is the highest Mm -hmm. and so it slowly starts to process and then as it keeps falling down it'll keep going faster and faster Mm -hmm. until it just the wheel just stops basically the, the the closer it is the the falling, the more it is to come back, which is why it's perfect. Like, like kind of, you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, when yeah. it's at the, when it's at the peak, it starts to come back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, oh, it's, it's coming like, like, like it's decelerating almost. And then it's accelerating. Like, I don't know, like a way to think about it. <laughs> like, I mean, I know that's not, that's not Something exactly like at all really what's <laughs> happening, but, and another, another consequence of this, right. As you were talking about precession is, with this, well, there's also well, there's also wobbling that then is also caused with all this stuff. But just dealing in space, I mean, in Earth here for this for now, air friction doesn't always last forever, right? So that that precession that you see that going around and round and round that you see that spinning top also follow will one day come to a standstill simply because of air friction. So if if we were on in space, that would just keep on going on, right? So again, I just I, I wanted to bring in gyroscopes. Really dope explanation. Again, I just wasn't good explanation. I just want to say that because uh, n- nice way to think about it. All right. I think uh, I think that's I think I really wanted to end with the gyroscope because I wanted to because I know rotational motion is really cool. I mean, it's really important, but it's not really that cool until you see some interesting applications. And the gyroscope is one of the coolest, in my opinion, applications. Of rotating motion, of rotational motion, right? Because it can, I mean, it can be used everywhere for everything. For I believe it was used in in missiles in World War in, in all these wars. Not that that's a good thing to use it for, but in all rocketry, of <laughs> course, it's again just to measure, keep direction very, very, very precisely, because that because the whole point of this again. So the beauty again isn't the fact that it continues. Well, that is kind kind of cool that it just can, can, continues going on around that finger of yours. But the beauty oh, yeah, is no, that's only a consequence of it slowing down. But if it continues to spin, like they do in like navigational systems yeah. and all that stuff, that's that's why you know it'll just stay in the same place. That's so exactly that's exactly what I'm saying, right? So that's that yeah. that axis of rotation is what the beauty is, where the beauty really lies, and the fact that that is not changing is real. So the the classic thing that again I'm thinking of again, a lot of our listeners may have heard of Walter Lewin. Very, very, very popular. You know that you know that physics professor, that crazy yeah. guy. You, I mean, I, I know you know him, but a lot of our listeners definitely also know him. And 
Again, that's that classic gyroscope example where you spin that bike wheel and you put it on like a... Like, that's just the one I was thinking about. So when you said finger, I just got a little bit. But yeah, and the cool... It's really cool to look at like, hey, how is that somehow defying gravity? <laughs> right? Because it's just spinning around. Mm-hmm. But that's not even the cool thing. The cool thing is that that axis is staying in the same direction no matter where we move it. Right? And that's used for all types of gimbals today. I mean, that's how gimbals work in the first place so like all of that is dependent on just simple rotational motion Mm. yeah awesome well thank you very much to everybody for having listened to this episode Uh, if you like this episode make sure to leave a like make sure to review us leave leave a five star wherever you're listening to this podcast yeah um make sure to follow us and to share us you know also let us know what you want us to talk about. We'll talk about pretty much anything, I guess. You can hit us up on Instagram at math.physics.podcast. Also, you can send us an email, math.physics.podcast at gmail.com. Yep. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, everybody. This has been episode number 74. I am your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we will see you soon. Bye, guys.